0: Are you going to strap up when you go to Disneyland?
1: I'll just bring one of them uh, Crocodile Dundee knives. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Roger. And welcome to The Middle, where we try to have thoughtful conversations about awkward topics on our search to find the middle. That's that phobic. I don't
0: feel war. Well. I just want to see A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty. Queen Elizabeth second.
1: I act as if God exists. Put your masks on.
0: How dare you! You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words!
1: So Roger, about a month or so ago we we recorded today's
0: episode on guns. Yeah, that's right Andy, and while we do talk about gun deaths in this episode, we do want to acknowledge the absolute tragedy that is gun violence and school shootings.
1: Unfortunately, it seems like there's a school shooting every other week in America, and we do cover the topic of school shootings in this episode, so we thought that we should acknowledge the school shooting in Nashville. For better or worse, it um, serves to underscore some of the points and and discussion in our episode today
0: so just wanting to call that out before listeners get stuck into this episode
1: and uh, we'll now kick on with the episode so i heard you got a story about trans rights to tell me
0: no, no, it's nothing like that. You know, I, I saw an article about the swimmer uh, in the states, and uh, it made me recall a story of a time I got my first hot stone massage. Right? I don't know if you've ever had one, right? Where they put the heated rocks on your back and then they use it to massage you. Have you ever tried it?
1: Yeah, I had, I had one the other day actually, but it was um, it was in a really hot and humid massage parlor. <laughs> so it was actually, I guess it's meant to have a contrast effect, right? So it didn't.
0: you really hot? Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Maybe the air conditioning broke. Ceiling fan fell off. So anyway, I had, I uh, was always curious about this stuff, but actually, to be honest, I don't get massage treatments very often. But it was on offer at the spa, so I said, "Okay, I'll try one of these hot stone massages." It was all going well. You know, nice environment, all this kind of stuff. I could hear like the hot, the the practitioner was this like big Russian lady, right? I kind of like that because you know she's going to be strong. So she gets these hot rocks out right and then she starts like laying them on me and man these rocks were fucking molten <laughs> they were so hot they were like burning me right and i'm like i don't know what to do now because they've obviously been in a little warmer and it's not like she's going to be able to cool them off so the whole time and they kept on going like those like fucking hundreds of rocks i'm like i thought in the picture there'd be like five rocks up and down your spine and they just like reuse them so they cooled down but they never stopped cooling down because she kept on bringing new rocks out of the oven and like massaging me with them, right? And like, was, yeah, anyway, I, by the end of it, I was like, um, she asked me, oh, how, how was it? How would you feel? You know, like I want to even try to do a Russian accent. And I'm like, oh, it was really good, but they were like, they were really hot. Like I felt like at some points they were burning me, especially when they just came out of the oven. And she's like, oh, oh yeah, they are quite hot. Um, but they can't have been that hot. And I'm like, oh, Why? She's like, because I was handling them with my bare hands and then she (laughs) turned around and showed me her hands and these were the biggest fucking (laughs) Russian hands I have ever seen and they were all like calloused up and everything. I'm like, lady, you ain't feeling a goddamn thing with those man hands and it got me thinking of the trans athlete that actually, you know, we're all different. We're all born with different gifts, you know, like she had some crazy man hands and and she was a woman, a biological woman and, you know, we we're, were all working with what we got. So I was very emasculated by that.
1: So I had a massage uh, about a week and a half ago. and um,
0: we're not coming across very relatable, are we? like freaking <laughs> manly men getting massages all the time?
1: Well, it was the first one I've had since um since the pandemic. I actually still like a massage or two. Um hang on that, that, that sounds really bad. <laughs> so i had a I had a, like one of them um, you know relaxation aromatherapy massages like a week and a half ago. And I went to a place, and then they take you through to the, this booth, right? And I was like, okay. Anyway, the staff lead lead me into to this booth, and they just leave me there on my own. And I'm, I'm just like, okay, all right. So I was just waiting because um, I figured, okay, I'll be given instructions um, of you know what's what's going what's go, what's <laughs> oh going to happen. I'm tingling with anticipation, and I, and I can
0: picture myself in this booth
1: and they leave me for, like, a few minutes, like maybe five minutes, something like that, and I'm like, oh, what's going on? And then this, l- like, lady knocks on the door and says, you ready? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. And <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, you take off your clothes. I was like, ah, oh, so hang on, what, what do you want me to do? Do you want
0: one of those massages, oh, my
1: God. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I like, I, I figured that, like, you know, obviously it's you know if they're going to use oil and stuff like that but like wait wait wait
0: so you didn't take off any clothes well not well i didn't know
1: what i was supposed to do like i didn't want to assume anything right
0: yeah but i'm, a, I'm a, like if there's a, a bed you have to lie down on you got to. Yeah, but they off. have
1: to give me instructions like i, I do think i don't do this very <laughs> often right like i didn't know what to do like they might just say oh, i'll just take your shirt off and then you know we'll do the this i don't know i, I i'm amateur at this it's right? all that consent.
0: you got to communicate up front you mean you didn't? They didn't give you like a little Dintai Fung style tick box form to to fill in before you. Well, they uh... didn't
1: say. Uh, well, I mean, to to give a more concrete example, like you know how I was saying before, we do that thing where we swap uh, anniversary uh,
0: yeah.
1: arrangements with, with my wife. So it turns out the this one of the components of the day was a massage, right? And it was a Japanese massage, but we didn't have to take any clothes off. It was just.
0: Through the clothing. So I, I didn't know. It. I didn't know what to do. Oh, so. man. Through the clothing? Um, that's a, Look, there's no good reason to get a massage through the clothing unless you're in a busy strip mall. And you're like on one of those weird sitting-up tables. Yeah, but it,
1: well, it was a Japanese massage. I don't know if it was um, – anyway, it was just different. So I just I, – I didn't know – I didn't want to assume anything. I wasn't going to go take all my clothes off and then she thinks that I'm like, you know, um, sexually assaulting her or something. You know, like if it's not, not expected. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted someone to tell me exactly what to do. And
0: uh, anyway, but um, next time – Don't we all, like, Andy, don't we all? It would have been funny actually in that Japanese massage – you took your pants off and they were like pixelated your genitals, like they do on the, <laughs> they do on the adult movies. I did just listen to our um our woke episode
1: and um I've got flashbacks of your list of the top uh twenty. Um, uh, yeah, it's not my list of twenty twenty one.
0: Don't call it my list. It's uh, no. It the was list. your list. It was your list. No, you it was it the list.
1: It, it but, was your. It, it, it was a download of your personal um, consumption. My it was Spotify your. Wrapped, your Spotify Wrapped.
0: <laughs> Sorry to interrupt the podcast. Andy and I have really enjoyed doing this, and while we don't want your money or anything like that, it's been great to see the number of our listeners grow since we kicked things off last year.
1: The best way for us to reach more people is word of mouth. So, if you'd like to support us, then we'd be really grateful if you could share it to a friend or someone that you think might enjoy the podcast.
0: We know there's a conversation for everyone, so please pick an episode that you think that they'd like and share away.
1: That ends our shameless plug and we'll return you now back to the episode. I do have a,
0: a memory that's come back to me about women in sport. So often we talk about this separation between men's codes and women, but for amateur play, right? And I grew up playing a lot of tennis when I was younger. And I'm recalling this time where I was asked to play this, this lady and she was an up and coming junior. And she was actually competing to go on to the, the tour. And I like, I whipped her ass, right? And then I remember coming off the the match and then the father of my opponent came up to me and said something like, oh, you know, that was, this is just a, a normal win for you. You know, you're not competing, but this is going to totally destroy her confidence. Like, you shouldn't have done that. And I was thinking to myself, what the hell? Like, I didn't like, up until that point, I really didn't see this difference and, and why the the context of me playing her and her position would mean anything. Well,
1: I always knew you were a misogynist.
0: <laughs> but what would be the alternative? I, I kind
1: of tanked the match. If you were, like, rolling down, like, 200 kilometer an hour aces every point and, like, she couldn't get a single ball back and the game ended just without even
0: rallies or anything like that. When for, like, yelling a non- obnoxiously after each point. Come on! Yeah. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> but but just, just to make this a little bit more favourable in my... <laughs> in my favor here, she was like a whole foot taller than me as well. So does that does that count into it? Do, am I now the the victim? Last episode, you were saying that um, girls don't have good like hand eye coordination or something. Not this one. By the time I was done with it. <laughs> Um, but but you know what I mean, like isn't that like what the, that kind of really hit me too? Because well, actually didn't really...
1: I, I think the, the the blame would be to the um to the whoever set it up, the parents or whatever. It's like when you see um, retirees play tennis, and they they'll usually be like mixed doubles or whatever, and yeah, you don't get a situation where like you know this this younger fifty five year old absolutely smashes it at the eighty year old woman because she's like <laughs> you know because he sees the opportunity to like, take her eyeball out or something. But you know they're always hitting it gently and making sure they can keep the rally going.
0: Like, what do you think about the whole crying thing? Have you ever played a game against people when they've cried when they've finished? Uh,
1: well, the crying thing is just like an emotional response to it. It's not. It's not like a, you can control it. Like if you feel that way about it, then it's that's that's how you engage with emotions. are part of how we um, deal
0: with the world, right? Well, but it's learnt though, right? Surely because no, because no, boys don't not. cry as much.
1: <laughs> I, well, I don't think it's a learnt behaviour. It's not. It's not something that. Um, I think it's. Oh, I, I don't know. Like I. I would say that there's. Are you
0: claiming there's biological differences between men yes, and women? Because I if am. you if you are,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not a subscriber to the view that yeah you know, we're all the same. It's just it's just a cultural construct. No, like I mean I think you know definitely um I think. But do you, know, you think women, that
0: if uh, if we, when women cried from an early age, when girls when they were girls and, and younger, and they were treated the same as when boys cry uh, in no, a more traditional side, they would stop doing it?
1: No, I don't buy any of that. I think. I think it's to do with an
0: emotion, like... Just being overwhelmed emotionally? Kind of no, thing.
1: no, it's not even being overwhelmed. It's just how, like, different brains, different people process things differently, like, and it's not, like, a weakness or anything. It's just kind of like how men are just always more rational to a fault, right? So, when, like, men don't buy flowers for their partners because they don't get why you'd buy something that's going to
0: die, right? That's the difference. Like, yeah, But I would say some of that is learned as well, right? Like, I think you take what's there biologically and and so on but then it's reinforced by the norms like the societal norms right
1: i think with with most of these things it's like it's not a hundred percent one factor and zero percent another it's usually like a mixture of yeah i would not challenge what you're saying in terms of that you know culture can accommodate certain behaviors maybe you feel like you want to cry but you don't be, and you hold it in
0: right or they'll shut that part off of them you know like-
1: yeah but like I, I but just generally like i think the differences between men and women when it comes to like their propensity to cry in these situations comes down to like something outside of their control, which is like to do with like, you know, which is biological. So, I mean, like last week, we were talking about kind of creating role models for young girls, so they can see that that's something that they can do for fun, or even takes to, like even seriously. That this is something that girls do, and it's not something that you know, like embarrassed to do, or that's not for you. Like, I don't have any daughters, so I don't know. I don't really have a, a personal perspective on that. But I guess I just to ask you, like, because I know you do have a daughter, how you, in fact, you've got two daughters, has that changed like your attitude to it and how you feel about some of these questions like after we've had the conversation last week
0: you know obviously having having daughters it makes you it makes you deal with the realities of female preference I think as well right like I've we've really tried to make sure that there is lots of opportunities to explore anything and everything in terms of interest when it comes to sport my hope for them and my thought about it is like if you know in your future you're going to go to a pool party you don't have to be an amazing swimmer you don't have to play water polo you don't have to be able to swim you know, in the sea, but you wanna be able to swim. You wanna be able to partake, right? You don't want to go in there and be nervous because you feel like you're gonna drown and you can't go in the water. That's all that's what I want for for my daughters, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good approach i mean if i can reflect on my own experience like was not a sporty kid like it was just like i was never good at it right and i think the kids that the kids that sort of take to sport are the ones that get like really good positive like feedback loops with it so they're the ones that you know maybe do like little athletics when they're a kid and then they might win like a race and then suddenly they get this hunger for it because it's like oh i won like oh i'm gonna keep doing this and then they get better and better and better and they find that thing that they excel at and they and that's the reward right And, and then you know if they're lucky they'll meet some friends through it as well and that reinforces the whole thing
0: school has a lot to blame with it andy like do you remember even when we went to school and you know we're quite young you still had that humiliating thing of being picked in order by team (laughs) captains right and obviously it was very clear what you know like obviously the people who weren't very good unless you were their best friend got picked last
1: just reflecting on it I know that there are some parents out there who view it almost as important as like getting good marks at the in the RHSC or
0: something more like more important for some people
1: yeah and and like I really hate that like I really think that is so upside down Th- this idea that you're gonna put pressure on kids to like do well at sport now they might be interested in sport and they might do like an activity like a sport that they enjoy because they enjoy it but I really like, I just think like ha- I-, I get there a benefits with sport and i get that like it's good to encourage kids to do it and all that and certainly like it's good to encourage kids to, to try their best and do their best but th- this kind of like pressure that parents
0: put i don't understand it like i understand it unfortunately and what it is in my opinion is the parents wanting to live vicariously through their kids achievements <laughs> yes, like that's what, is, so. right? that's what it is right that's what and when you yeah. see like that classic kind of like coach like the sports dad or mother you know getting really worked up and that example i had about playing that that woman in the under 14s that was going on tour it was the same thing her parents were so invested and living vicariously through her
1: yeah. So I think like in the context of like then thinking about girls and sport, and this is as true for boys, right? This isn't necessarily for girls. But if the starting premise for say, oh, we've got to have investment in elite women's sport, because we've got to create role models, so girls can go and be like professional athletes when they grow up, like, <laughs> it's just so silly. Like, it, it really is completely
0: unnecessary. And you know, actually, what gives me hope? Andy is um it's kinda of happening in the wrong way, <laughs> but it is a good thing, I believe. And it's that the move away from sports to gym culture so women are much more involved and they have a more prominent place in the gym now right and it's not really a sport as such and they're doing it maybe for slightly more vanity reasons but come on aren't we all but what that does provide
1: i don't go to the gym so not me you
0: had that round of pts before covid so (laughs) before it didn't work but but what, what i mean is it actually builds this foundation so when i talk about you know being able to swim at a pool party, that's it, right? Like you'll find that if you start to understand how to exercise in the gym and build a strong foundation, actually make your body stronger, more flexible and all this kind of things, sports will become more enjoyable.
1: But either way, the typical age that this all dissipates is like, you know, 30s, right? Where it doesn't matter, you know, how successful you were as a kid or, you know, whether you continue to play sport in your 20s. By the time you're 30, and especially if you've got kids and like other priorities, work and all the rest of it, it's pretty much like everyone's on the same level by that age. Well, that's, that, I don't and, think
0: so, though, right? I think that's why the, where the gym thing comes in, cause the people that,
1: yeah, yeah well, the, that's true. That's true. And, and, and like there are some people who are just naturally skinny or, you know, whatever. But, I, well, actually, you know what? I actually think that, that actually some of the most healthy, fit looking people into like later in life are actually the ones that weren't sporty
0: absolutely because um, they still have their knees
1: <laughs> yes and they and their thing was just to get into a routine of going to the gym whereas those who like got into sport they maybe didn't get into gym because like they're doing plenty of exercise and training and all that and all the other stuff through their sport and then they kind of hang up the boots so to speak and then there's something to replace it and they just become fucking huge and put on yeah. weight and can't get it off and do yo-yo dieting and they never kind of exactly. they never sort of regain their like their figure from their former glory like, yeah <laughs> All right, Roger. So what are we talking about today?
0: We're talking about whether it's acceptable or not to take your clothes off for a Japanese massage. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Today we are looking into the subject of guns, firearms, something very dear to my heart.
1: No, not really. Have you ever shot a gun?
0: Uh, Yes, I have. So it was you. (laughs) So you shot Mr. Burns. I loved that episode. I think most of our listeners are probably too young. That That was a a show called The Simpsons. <laughs> and um, on this thing called television, eighty five percent of comedy came from it. Probably still does. Just no one watches it anymore.
1: So you've you've shot a gun before. Tell me about it. What what led you to um, to that experience?
0: Well, I was at um, Time Zone and they have this game there called uh, <laughs> Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter. No, I'm thinking of the Time Crisis. That's the oh, ultimate no. one because you get to hide behind the walls. No, what's it, what, what's the one? What's the one where you shoot deer? Yeah, I think it's Deer Hunter or Buck or Big Bucks. Big buck challenge or something, or Ted's big buck game, big game hunter.
1: So the deer hunter is a 1978 movie. Oh. Um, I'm just thinking who's who that stars.
0: You know what the original OG was though was uh, Andy. It was um, the Nintendo. Uh, it was called Duck Hunt. And you got like you know they gave you that little plastic gun. Did you ever play that? Yeah, my son loves that. He he always wins tickets at, at times though. So you let your you let your son play with guns. Is that what you're admitting to live on air? Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty hard not to toy guns. Well, it's probably like a, a good little segue though. Like, do you think it's okay for kids to to play with toy guns, and what age?
1: Well, so I guess they're really from a kid's perspective, it's just like a projectile, right? like a a toy with a projectile i don't think they necessarily associate this thing this object as you know with all the evils of murder and homicide and all the rest of it
0: but weapons i suppose i guess right
1: yeah but i don't think that's how they see it like i think at the very one end of the extreme it it could be you know back in the maybe you know maybe earlier period where cowboys and indians you know guns and and you know but even then it was a very sort of i don't think a, a full complete picture of what the actual weapon was about but i think like for me like when looking at the toy aspect of guns isn't it more about nerf guns where they can actually shoot like a projectile or which is more just fun like and even the ones that don't shoot stuff like maybe it's you know one that makes like some funny sounds or something like that i don't have a, a problem with it myself
0: there's always been something that for for kids right so whether it's like you said a soft version you know like a nerf gun or something that shoots a soft bullet or even like a lot of the toys center around this kind of weapon shooting projectile kind of thing. And I think that that translates over into video games as well, right? So very kind of big on the whole point and shoot games, games that actually do involve arcade games that do involve guns, things like that. There's lots of parents that I know who are very... They're so anti-gun that they won't even let their kids anywhere near that kind of weaponry because they feel that it desensitizes them to the serious nature of guns.
1: So, just to get to the heart of it, then, like one thing in looking at the science of it, or at least the studies, to try and look at if there is relationship between use of, say, video games and violence. There is no, there's no link, right? If there's any purported evidence, it's it's very weak and not very reliable so people who play those sort of shoot 'em up kind of even the most like horrific of video games like i don't know whether you'd put you know like a gta style or even there's probably even worse than that go- really gory ones yeah. there's still no link between people who play those games and then that take the next step and decide to go and kill people so what what do you think the reason is is it like a misconception that there's a link between kids who play video games with violence or is it like a visceral hatred for guns that they don't even <laughs> want to see it like that something shaped in the shape of a gun so yeah
0: totally agree i don't think that they've been able to reproduce any link of people who play uh violent video games and that translating over into real life uh especially related to guns right where some of the research has been done but i think stepping back it's, it's come from this myth has almost come really popular from the columbine shootings right because uh, one of the, the boys there was heavily into those really violent video games, especially gun-related ones. But you're right, there's no evidence for that. But stepping back, I do think violent video games, there is a part of me that thinks that that would desensitise maybe your attitude or empathy a little bit um, in the same way that I suppose looking at other extreme forms of art like pornography and other things like that does has been proven to desensitize you to that kind of stimulus right now there's differences right like obviously if you're looking at really gory things and you know you're chopping people's heads off and and all sorts of horrible things yeah i think that it's natural for parents to be concerned about that and and i think that you even if it is entertainment and there's no real link it probably does create some other psychological side effects that we've we probably can't reproduce in. The science, right? In the literature.
1: If we can draw a circle around all of the other potential perils associated with video games, whether it's just purely desensitizing people or other psychological impacts, then sure. But I guess, you know, people are going to who play video games with guns in it are suddenly going to pick up a gun, yeah, especially right. when, yeah, <laughs> like I'm, I'm just thinking of a, an example. So we recently, um, we've been trying to hold off for a little while on letting my son play Fortnite, but we we weren't concerned at all about the violence in it because it's very cartoonish right it's like oh, i'll get this yeah. you know this you know caricature of a shotgun that's got like <laughs> you know multicolored rainbows coming out of it sort of thing and then you know these weird sort of cartoony characters that they shoot i don't think there's any blood or oh, if there is it's it's not obvious but not so much from the um, perspective of the violence in the game but more the addictivity of it so yeah um, this notion that kids get addicted to games
0: yeah like you said it was a different it's a different issue but it's still a relevant issue um like i remember when we were growing up the game Mortal Kombat came out and it's like a Street Fighter style game but it was really violent right like when you hit the character blood came spurting out and there there were fatality moves where you got to maim the bodies and pull their spines out and punch through their chest and pull out their heart and it was like this hyper violent style of the game version of a Street Fighter game but I've never been tempted to decapitate someone in real life of course yeah
1: I, I, I must admit I did once try and pull the spine out of um, my brother when he was annoying me but just um, didn't have the finger strength yeah I just I couldn't I couldn't um, pull it out all right so we know that people don't like guns but Let's talk through the side of guns that make especially like in countries like America make this such a like a hot topic and why you have people as strongly in favor of their rights to have guns, right? Well what's the other side of this?
0: Yeah, so how about I tackle the side that really talks about the ownership of guns as a hobby, as a, a sporting pursuit and maybe I'll cover that off because I have a bit of experience in that. And we can talk about all the harder kind of freedoms and liberty after. But that question you asked at the beginning, you said, do you, have you ever fired a gun? And I haven't really done that until very late in my life. So in the last couple of years, I've done two things. I've done a safety course on handguns uh, where you go to a firing range and they teach you about how they work, how to handle them, how to discharge them safely and what to do. And I've also joined a rifle club. And so it's a small bore rifle club. And it's mainly centered around the sport of shooting, right? So the same that they compete in the Olympics is the same style using 22 caliber small bore rifles and target shooting. So I guess my experiences from that are really like you have this perception of what guns are, what they're used for and the kind of pe- and mainly the kind of people who want to own them. And I can honestly say going to both clubs, and especially the rifle club, it's not what you think. There's actually a very sedate culture. It's a very kind of welcoming, trusted people from all different walks of life. People who really care about the gun in the same way someone would obsess over a Swiss watch. And they're responsible. They're, they're doing it for sporting. Like I said, it's an Olympic sport. It's a trusted sport. It's a very different culture from the one we're led to believe.
1: It, your comment around Swiss watches. So what's the what's the motivation? I mean, people don't take up tennis because they love tennis rackets, right? I guess with this gun shooting range thing, like what is probably, it sounds like it's a little bit different at least insofar as people do have an innate interest in the mechanics, the machinery, the you know and, they, and i know people like guns can be collectible too and all of this sort of stuff but do you think like at least in your experience with the people you've engaged with are they motivated by the sport like they don't really care about the equipment so much as as the equipment you know is the tools they need for their for their sport or is are they actually innately interested in the in the gun itself a kind of a cool thing to play with
0: absolutely i think there's this intersection of both right so There are hardcore people that are competitors and they probably feel the same way as a professional tennis player feels about their rackets. You know, they've got a bunch of them, their tools to help them achieve their sport. But the majority of people I met had a lot more lust for the actual guns themselves. It's this intersection of, you know, I think humans love tools in general um, and the engineering of them, the feeling of them. And with guns, it's more complicated because there's a history behind them there's a real clear, clear utility of having a gun, seeing how it works, being able to, you know, shoot this bullet is power. But these guns
1: are fairly basic. I mean, we're not talking about like AK-47s or anything, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's a small caliber, like you said, single shot, um, high velocity, but low powered.
1: Okay. So before you said like it's power, it's uh, agency. Obviously in Australia, you can't have a gun to protect yourself for example like you can't carry a weapon you can have a gun at home but not as a weapon to protect yourself from for intruders or whatever if you if you're a license holder it has to be because you've got some other purpose for it but you know in, in say like in america this is like a core critical argument like of yeah you should have the right to to have a gun to to do those things so yeah i'm just interested in how you feel about that particularly now that you've engaged in in, or you've exposed yourself to to this this world, and you've you've yeah. used a gun, and, and you've um, yeah had some experience with it. Now,
0: to be totally honest, I, I I know what you're prying at too with this whole idea of sport versus power, and why people are drawn to guns. And I think like it is a bit of a fine line, and I can admit it even with myself that you are dealing with something that is very very powerful, and the consequences of your actions are very high stakes. Do you remember the recently Alec Baldwin and I think he's been charged with manslaughter for yeah. accidentally firing a what was meant to be a prop gun, but yeah. actually had live ammunition and killed one of his the actors that he was working with. Well, it
1: was, I think, either the, the director or someone involved behind the scenes. I
0: think. Yeah. And I guess when you hear that as someone who doesn't know anything about guns, you're like, oh, how and well could this happen? Guns are terrible, that kind of thing. And I will say that my feeling with handguns when I was first experiencing them, like a Glock or a handgun, say, that our, our police use, it is incredibly basic. It is literally metal on metal, a pin that hits a, a cartridge, and, and I can imagine you discharging it accidentally very, very easily. And of course, the consequences are dire. So instantly, I have this respect and acknowledgement that the ownership of a handgun is very, very dangerous.
1: Because of restrictions on gun ownership in australia we don't really have like a gun culture
0: i think you've
1: found like a really niche niche right you know like in terms of the the number of people across the whole of the country who engage in these gun clubs it's very 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 small
0: yeah enthusiasts
1: there aren't fathers you know showing their children the guns they're not passing that culture from one generation to the next so in other countries like in america that that probably happens
0: it's funny you mention that andy though because um at the rifle range, there were father-son duos there. Well, that's probably
1: the only way it does happen in Australia. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, in some ways you're a little bit odd, like in the, <laughs> you randomly like rock up and, you yeah, know, they probably do extra double background <laughs> checks on you. But, but yeah, I mean, like, I guess just generally the, the ability for, for it, like you need a base to for it to expand, right? You can't, It, it and it comes from a very low base, so it, it just doesn't permeate the culture here. But... I am interested in your thoughts and, and maybe even to ask you a question, like you can't have a gun for personal protection. You can't have a, a gun for that reason. If you could, would you? And would you consider, um, w- would you see it as something worth having to protect you, your fa- yourself, your family, you know, maybe just under the bed to just in case or whatever?
0: It's a, it's a really interesting question. And it's one that I have pondered with um, with a small group of people. It depends on the risk of your environment. And at the moment, the risk is low enough not to introduce an added risk of a firearm in the house with kids and other things, even if it's in a safe and all that business. It, you know, it, it'd be like bringing a gun to a knife fight <laughs> or even, you know, what's a better analogy, you know, like it it's being, a, you know, a sledgehammer when, when all you need is, you know, one of those crappy plastic hammers they give you at Ikea. I don't think there's enough of a threat in my current environment to introduce that new level of. Of risk. Now, if there was, then yes, I actually would. Um, I think that, you know, if you we're moving away from sport now into the need of it for self-defense or whatever it may be. But if there was a need to do that, if I lived in a country that had a lot more gun violence and a lot more home invasions and things like that, then yes, absolutely. I would want firearms in the house to protect my family, the house, that kind of thing.
1: So one of the arguments that gets made very strongly in America against gun control is that if you stop my ability to access a gun legally to protect my family, I'm one of the good guys, right? Then you will create an imbalance in in sort of street power, if you like, because those who engage in or acquire guns illegally because they're networked through gangs or whatever will be able to run riot around me. So yeah. at the moment, the only sort of thing creating an equilibrium at the moment is the fact that I can have a gun in my home, <laughs> which means that someone who you know is able to acquire a gun illegally is not as likely to come at me with a gun because they're afraid that I might have a gun to shoot them back. But if you take my gun away, then there's no telling what they'll yeah. do.
0: You know what it is, Andy, and I was talking about this with my family the other the other day. It's mutually assured destruction, right? It's very, very similar to the nuclear arms threat, right? Like if you live in an environment where the bad people, in quotation, have guns, then you know, you're going to want guns because you, you don't trust them to do the right thing. So you better, it's like the whole condom analogy, right? It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Right. So I think that that pool, and that really depends on your environment of the risk, right?
1: Now's probably a good time to bring in the Australian experience when it comes to guns. So in 1996, we had the Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania. And 35 people were killed. Obviously, using a gun, and uh, it was quite a sort of a, a moment of, of deep contemplation of, of the role of, of guns at that time. And the then Prime Minister John Howard introduced a, a gun buyback scheme and very tight controls on on the availability of guns following that. And since then, uh, it's been very hard to get your hands on a gun in Australia, apart from, you know, those very narrow sort of practical uses. But also, I think even in the sort of the decades that have followed, particularly as gun violence in America has become such an emerging sort of contrast, Australians have become quite sort of outspoken and prouder almost of, of the extent of gun control in in Australia. But I guess to then contrast that with America, yeah. You see some very interesting kind of polarization there, where you have some groups saying, oh, we should have Australian style laws. And then other groups saying, you know, no, it's my God given right to have a gun and, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> so it's a really tricky situation, isn't it?
0: It is. And, you know, I've got to give it to John Howard. I think he was only in office for six weeks or something when this happened. And so he used a, a big risk and you know, a lot of political capital to, to reform this. you know we don't have the NRA, but we did have the we had our own lobby bodies and it was a lot of opposition and I think in the end we, they bought back 650,000 privately owned guns and they, you know a lot of guns in Australia at that point. But in America, I think the gun ownership is just exponentially different and it's grown and grown and grown throughout all this time. They have a, a system based on that prizes, you know, liberty and things like that, and it's based on allowing their population to have access to firearms, to protect their property, to um, act if the, the government fails and all these kind of things, right? And that's a, a very different culture and a very different kind of pride that they have in their firearms right
1: and and just to put some further stats on the table so in the united states you have 120 guns for every 100 people so you have more guns than people in the united states and then you go to like after and so it's like america then there's like daylight then number two is the falkland islands which you know, I guess like a tiny group of islands that, you know, were at war in the 80s or, you know, constantly at threat of, of um, being overtaken by Argentina. Um, so they have guns for, for probably that reason. But even they only have 60 guns per or 62 guns per, per 100 people. And if you're wondering where Australia sits, we have 14 guns per 100 people. So almost 10 times as many guns per person in america than in australia
0: it's a different calculus right from for america and and i don't think anyone believes that the same exact program is going to work for america that it did from australia right? i think the culture is different the the scale of the guns are different um the type of crime is different all, all sorts of those different factors right
1: i think we should like draw this out a little bit because just reflecting on whenever you have any kind of conversation about gun control in America, then all the Australian Twitter users get on there like um, high horse, <laughs> of, uh, you know, oh, come and ask me. I'm an expert on, on gun related violence. Suddenly basically just say, oh, well, come and come and talk to us. We'll tell you what to do to solve this, this problem. But my island home. But that's a very arrogant starting point, right, I think, because in many ways, because it assumes that you could do the exact same thing in America as you as what you did in Australia, and, and you would have something resembling the same outcome. But the reality is, for one, there are just so many guns already in America, so the stock of guns in America is so high, and you would bankrupt America if you had to buy them all back. <laughs> At market value, and it, it and then th- those are the ones that have been given to you voluntarily, right? So, I mean, we know how like the 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 extent of gun culture in America is so strong and so powerful. Yeah, just you know, what percentage would actually voluntarily be given back? <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure.
0: And just, just, just on that point, though, Andy, too, even in the Australian buyback scheme, that six hundred fifty thousand that was was bought back by the Australian government only equated to twenty percent of private stock.
1: Yeah, So it's unrealistic. And then given this, just how easy it is to get a gun, whether legally or illegally, because let's say you have a total ban of, of sale of guns in America overnight, that doesn't mean that they're not, they're not going to be sold illegally or they're not going to be made available some other way under the counter sort of thing.
0: So, and you've got the Freedom Gun. Have you heard of that? It's an open source 3D printed gun that you can create from components. So yeah, we're all fucked, basically. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess this this very naive notion that, oh, yeah, you, all you have to do is this this thing that we did in Australia and that would solve America's problems is, is, I think, a bit naive. The other thing, though, to counter that, and this is something we haven't brought up yet, but we've spoken about like gun violence, but I don't think we've covered other ways that guns cause problems. It's not just someone shooting someone... In a homicide sort of situation it's also accidents it's suicides it's moments of rage that wouldn't have resulted in you know a murder if the technology wasn't so you know present and available you know there are circumstances now where if someone gets enraged they're not going to murder that person with their bare hands or with a knife or whatever but the fact they've got a gun means that it's just that extra step easy for them to to take someone's life yeah Uh, and that's actually like i think more than half of deaths in america
0: you know sometimes i i actually do feel that the the people who are advocating for gun control in in america are not doing themselves any favors by lumping all the stats together right because i think when you look at gun deaths related deaths in the states it actually breaks down a little bit more in, in a bit more of a nuanced way so like you said 54% of all deaths, and now I'm talking about just if you want to reference figures, 2020 in the US, 54% is suicide, right? And there's kind of a percent here, a percent there for things like the police lethally discharging to you know deal with criminals or or, or things like that. There's a even smaller like one percent of accidental discharges, so people firing them at home or whatever. Less than I think it's 001 percent makes up mass shootings, and then the other forty to forty three percent is um, actual homicides, right? And then if you dig even further into that, the vast vast majority, so th- th- over thirty percent of that is kind of inner city crime and gang-related violence in the four major cities as well. So I think it tells a bit of a different story than the headline numbers that you see sometimes. But I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on whether the suicide by means of gun or firearm should be included in that?
1: The stats just are what they are, right? But just in terms of what that means in terms of policy and, and what, what in America they probably should do, although they probably won't. Um, with regards to guns, is well for starters, it does crystallise that whenever the, the the conversation about gun control really kind of you know goes through its its ebbs and flows in America, the the conversation in support of gun control becomes most loud and prominent after a a mass shooting or a school shooting in particular. But as you say, that's just a very small component of total deaths right associated with guns. So yeah, it's the thing that. People relate to. I mean, it's like the classic story of one one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic, right? So, in some ways, the the school shooting it connects to people as a the story around it. It's so tragic, and yeah, it's a tragedy, you know, right? As kids yeah, and kids involved. Exactly. And it just kinda of highlights the pain that guns cause. And so that's what people then use to start talking and, and or at least feel in their hearts that that there maybe there should be some sort of restrictions on guns. But to me that only serves to reinforce the need for, for gun control in America because those mass shootings are only <laughs> such a like you almost have to imagine one of those incidences times what was the number you gave? What was
0: point zero one percent.
1: Point zero one percent. So 0.01%. So you almost have to like imagine and multiply that by like 10,000 to get the actual number of, of equivalent sort of incidences, right? You know, whilst before I was sort of slagging off, you know, Australians kind of coming in and, you know, diagnosing the problem for Americans, I do think at the same time, just any measure you can implement to make guns less available will mean less suicides. It will mean less accidents. It will mean less gang-related homicides. It will it will mean less street violence, whatever. And it, 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 that's a great, that's a good thing. I mean, and people say, oh, well, yeah, but they'll use knives, but knives are, are less dangerous.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are all sorts of arguments why he won't get the result that you're looking for. But um, clearly, due to the lethal nature of firearms, if you just look at something like suicide, I think that, um, of course, we're not suggesting that the guns have caused the suicide, but you're right, they will reduce the effectiveness of someone trying to commit suicide, and perhaps they will get the help that they need. And there are some statistics to say that people who do try and fail um, a suicide attempt have a very good chance of, uh, you know, living a very long life.
1: Yeah. And look, I think the critical thing here is that there are lots of arguments, whether it's the argument that I outlined earlier around you can never get rid of guns on the street. Well, sure. So that means a policy won't be effective in a, a pure way. So for however many of those homicides aren't committed with a gun, they might, sure, absolutely some percentage of them will be committed with some other weapon and they won't just disappear like that That number won't disappear to zero, but it will reduce. And that's, and that's the key point, right? And you only need to look at the stats. For example, in Australia, we have a lower murder rate than in America, like America among advanced Rich nations is the worst, one of the worst, if not the worst performers in the advanced world. So, yeah, there has to be, a, you know, a connection between the two.
0: But I think what we're both acknowledging, though, is that every country has its own challenges, and you can't just transport the policies from one to the other, right? I mean, look at somewhere like Mexico, who they they feel have very, very tight <laughs> firearm laws, some of the tightest in the world, are most restrictive. But of course, they have one of the biggest gun violence problems as well. And that's due to other factors that sit outside that around the, the cartel trade and, and other things like that.
1: But it doesn't mean it would be better if they had weaker gun laws, right? So the fact that there's some semblance of it being difficult it probably has had a positive impact. It's just that it's, it's still, there's still a, like a, a bad outcome, right?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's worth pointing out too that you know the the narra- the popular narrative, you'd think that the US is the biggest gun nuts out there. They have the highest gun rate of uh, homicide by by firearms, and that is not the case. Um, there's many other countries that top that list. So just kind of putting that out there. So we've talked about a little bit about the dark side, but can you see the right to defend yourself or the access to firearms being? A legitimate kind of right an important right in any circumstance
1: anyone who suggests that the Second Amendment is uh, bears any context or relationship to modern America and and the actual challenges we're talking about particularly when we're talking about like automatic weapons and things like that I mean we have to remember that the context of the Second Amendment was you know basically a bunch of farmers still worried about you know the tyranny of government taking their you know land rights away or something like that yeah it was invented for from- for a different time and we have to remember these things are just written laws of of humans right like so you can always change them it doesn't mean they're good just because something existed doesn't mean it's like the word from god as some americans seem to treat it and so i guess the question is do americans today or for that matter citizens of any country need to have guns to essentially hold their government to account and make sure that um, you know they could stand up to power if they if if they need to, absolutely not. So I don't have a high view of that.
0: Yeah, the the government uprising thing is probably a little bit harder to uh, <laughs> be sympathetic towards. But I am, I tell you, I am sympathetic to home protection. Um, I do think that uh, you don't want that escalation in your community but there would be 100% times where a gun would be the difference between life or death.
1: Yeah, but only because guns are so freely available that...
0: No, I don't mean if the... Purpose, I mean, for example, if, if you're... A- a female living alone, and someone breaks in, intent on stealing property and, and causing you bodily harm. Uh, probably a firearm is the only chance you have of surviving, right? And that, and you know, we can talk about how often that happens or whatever. That doesn't matter to that woman. That is the difference between life and death. And I can see that when you put look at it like that, it can be a right, you know.
1: But the flaw of that. Argument is that by moving from a state of the universe where that person can buy that gun for that purpose of protection versus the one where they can't, they're inher- they're inherently more unsafe in the world where they can buy it because it just means that other people can buy it, buy that, have that gun and have that weapon, and they're, they're more likely to be killed by someone else, um, you know, uh, shooting them with a gun. I so d- I don't
0: like know if I believe that though. Like,
1: well, that- of course, look at the look at the numbers in, no, but in the,
0: like the the. Sorry, so if someone's breaking intent on raping, killing, stealing, they're not legally buying their guns probably either.
1: Okay, let's pull out the thought experiment. So if you have a world where there are no guns because no one's allowed to own them, right, which is more or less what we have here in Australia, then that environment is a fundamentally more safe world to live in than one where it's possible to buy guns to protect yourself. So it might be that that's still going to not protect that person in that very specific situation but on average it's more dangerous for that for for everyone right so
0: i'm not i'm not arguing with the statistics around that right i'm arguing with that for that individual that has the right to protect Herself, And I'm kind of asking you to imagine that scenario because it's one that's very clear, right? Because there's a power imbalance to to say to have that that individual has the right to protect themselves.
1: So there's always like a compromise between individual rights and societal rights, right? So your right to have a gun comes at the cost of my right to live in a safe world, right? Because the trade-off of you being allowed to have a gun uh, is unsavory types having a gun. And I don't want to live in that world so you have to trade up off your personal right to hold a gun, so that we can all live in a more safer environment. I mean, it's the same as you know speeding, right? In some instances, it is logically safer to speed, right, as in to go faster than the speed limit, because you might be overtaking a car. But we have a blanket rule saying you can't speed because we know that some percentage of the population will abuse it if it's not tightly held. So to yep. protect and and create a safe environment, we have some rules that. Um, go against maybe individual liberties
0: i know but there's there's also an argument that you can implement safe gun ownership for for those people right we're not talking about just being able to walk into walmart and buy an automatic weapon but with the with the right training and the registries and so on you could provide that outcome with an acceptable risk into society and that that is a harder argument to to propose right to to fight against
1: except that i think that's sort of not how it would ever work in reality. Like the moment someone can acquire a gun to protect themselves, unless you say okay, only five foot—I was going to say five foot Asian women are allowed it, but that's um, that's probably probably racist. But um,
0: you get one when you come to the country as part of the welcome bag.
1: I mean, that that's just inevitably not not you can't have that. Oh, wait a minute, of- we've
0: gone from like thought experiment here to like <laughs> trying to say that uh, tighter gun controls are not practical
1: if you say what's what should be true north right what should be the, the very best scenario for the whole of society it, it, it's it's zero guns right So I think now there might be some impracticalities like in the United States to think that you can go from 120 guns per person to zero guns per person is is ludicrous right? However, if you go from 120 guns to 60 guns per person, it's probably worth doing because you can reduce some of the, you know, the by-pro- you know, like the, the you will reduce homicides and and the like just because. Some of the opportunistic violence won't happen, and suicide rates might might fall, and so on. But the example you've given, like you know, a, a little old lady can go to you know a, a gun shop, get you know registered for a gun or whatever, and and have one under a bed for for personal safety or whatever. That policy setting is incompatible with a world where it's hard to get a gun. If you're going to let the little old you know granny have one for protection where you actually have to let everyone have one for protection which means everyone can go and get a gun all right so you're going to check okay how for what purpose are you getting a gun uh, do you have criminal like so it,
0: we, we do that in australia
1: um, but you can't have one for personal protection
0: no i know but, but i'm saying we've implemented the same rigor in terms of uh, licensing training and storage protections
1: yeah, but but the purpose for having a gun is is not for personal protection.
0: Yeah, that's right. You need to go through the licensing process, which goes through yeah. you know why why you want it. Um, have you done the training? Uh, character references, storage plan, which is inspected. I'm just saying that we have gone to the trouble of obviously implementing all those checks, and it still still works. There's still guns in Australia, but just under that system
1: yeah but then then like all of these things are barriers right so you can create and, and you kind of need those barriers That and and some of them are, are genuine safety checks like as in but like you know it's not that hard to get like a fake reference or whatever but they're they're just things you they're hurdles you've got to jump through that they're just most people don't bother doing it right so now whether that's an all-out ban or a restriction or it's a, a bit of sludge to make it harder for someone to, to have access to it. Does that really matter? Um, because what's going to happen to your example is that little old lady's going to say, well, it was too hard to get a gun. Like, so the fact that it was so hard for me to get a gun, you know, as hard as it is in Australia, means you've got to change the the policies. It was too much effort to me and by the time someone, you know, I gave up trying to get one and, and then the next day someone broke in and I had no, no way of defending myself. So it sort of doesn't really matter what's the barrier, whether it's a legal barrier or it's a sludgy barrier. That's, there's still impediments at, at play here and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it has the effects the same either way.
0: I think a pro-gun activist just looked at that example and say that's exactly why we can't have it because that lady is already dead now because of the barriers that you put up and it was her right to defend herself
1: so they'll say we need to have we need to have guns at walmart yeah scrap licensing so
0: you should be able to two- gift guns
1: yeah basically everyone 100 we've only got 120 guns per 100 people gosh we need to double that by end of 2023
0: so yeah um but, but saying that too with our stat like obviously the guns lie in the hands of smaller people like a few people own many guns yeah in course. the united states and you know, or, or I know lots and lots of people in the states, and they they don't they don't own guns, right? So obviously, for everyone that doesn't own a gun, there's one guy sitting in a bunker with a thousand, right? Like yeah. In the episode talking about firearms and guns and gun-related violence, it would be remiss of us not to touch on mass shootings, right? Because I think, like you said, it's something that really reaches into. The hearts of people it's so tragic it often involves kids um, and it seems to be getting worse and worse what are your memories of when this started becoming started ramping up in terms of media coverage um frequency because uh, the, the statistics now kind of hard to, to wrap your head around
1: so i think it's probably worth drawing a distinction between mass shootings and like school shootings so school shootings is this thing that i think really reached kind of this level of prominence in you know, following the Columbine massacre in 99. And then there just seemed to be like a new school shooting every other week, right? So there seemed to be this almost like, you know, trend of like, or it became like a fashion and people were like copycat kind of shootings and the like started emerging. That's sort of my personal memory of it. But actually what I understand is the case that um, there have always been, incidences like these in schools in america however a little bit different so like but just in terms of actual kind of deaths apparently there were four times as many school related gun deaths in america in the early 90s than there are today so this isn't actually something that has is ramping up has ramped up this is just there's just always been this base level of like gun violence in in schools in America however i think what's different now and this is what i understand is different is they have become more premeditated and they have become more sort of orchestrated and you know kind of driven by things like you know kind of revenge and these these sort of grand grand plans for revenge in a way that didn't wasn't the case sort of earlier and if just to kind of touch on why perhaps then there are fewer deaths now than maybe in the early 90s it's because these kind of big grand kind of massacres sort of tend to then produce like a a safety response
0: so we need to have security guards in schools
1: um, we need to have precautions and whatever
0: so my favorite one is teachers paying paying teachers like five dollars more an hour to to carry guns (laughs) to to carry yeah (laughs) should maybe i'll do it for free
1: yeah, so that's 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 what I understand to to be the case. Actually, but just sorry, just as one really quick aside. I think there was a, a similar trend in China um, where there was just like a whole like run of like school violent school attacks, but they didn't have guns there. They were like with knives. So there was like knife attacks. That's something that I've heard before.
0: Wow, yeah. It's um I think it also is something that you just don't understand, right? Like we started off talking about video games and, you know, is that what causes this or what is it? Like people just scratch their head and they go, we don't understand. People have always been bullied at schools and we understand mental health a lot more now. But the idea that you could just, you know, open fire on a school full of kids um, is just still, it's still a mystery. It's still a mystery. So I think that when you don't understand something, it captivates And the media has probably um, gone on to that. I mean, do you believe that the media should be covering events like this?
1: Yeah. Well, this is. um, There is a suggestion that the like probably the best way to deal with school shootings, as in especially the copycat variety, is just not to report on them. If you report on it, then you kind of do create this. You advertise to other kind of troubled kids that hey, here's here's a here's a good idea, which you know is is a bit problematic but i don't know how you how you don't report on it although one suggestion is you don't name the perpetrator because that gives them almost some hero status in the minds of of the perpetrator
0: i tend to agree with that that if you if you didn't kind of name them and you didn't feed this kind of fame monster that comes along with these you know the infamy of these events the media can be very irresponsible around these things thinking really outside the box like have you heard any really crazy solutions to the gun problem though like putting practicalities aside i had this one right like instead of dealing with a buyback system or anything like that why don't they just stop the production of live ammunition for civilian populations and actually the only thing you're allowed to to sell is like non-lethal ammunition from this point forward like so keep your guns but essentially we are halting the production of live ammunition
1: i think that's something they're proposing in america as well
0: just fill it with Nerf bullets. So, so Andy, looking back in all this, I think acknowledging the differences and 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 so on, like you believe, I'm getting, I'm gathering from you, you believe that guns should be banned in a domestic or civilian landscape, and that would result in like a better world, a better society. Do you do you still kind of feel that principle?
1: I have no qualms with any of the policies when it comes to the availability of guns in Australia, either to this perspective of having more gun control or Having guns be more available, like I don't, I don't have a view on it at all. So anything, any view I would have on it is probably more in the US context, which then becomes, you know, I, I, I kind of look at them as sort of like someone from Mars, sort of thing, because it doesn't really affect me in my day to day life, and, you know, I don't have any skin in the game really. So although I am traveling there
0: I about um, say <laughs> for a few weeks, so. are you going to strap up when you go to Disneyland? I'll just
1: bring one of them. Uh, Crocodile Dundee Knives Um, (laughs) But if I'm kind of Dispassionate about it I do think it's hard to kind of argue that how it, how it is in America is like serving anyone, right? And and like to your point before, you know, America isn't the only co- country with problems. It's just that when you look at America, they're such an outlier given they have all of the other, you know, they have good law enforcement, they have good, you know, property right contr- like enforcement, they have good legal system, institutions, all these things, um, yet they still have all this crime. And, you know, the one thing that makes them different to other countries of comp- comparable economic and and social stature is um is is that is that 120 guns per 100 people
0: that um, sets them apart from the rest of the world yeah i think it would be you know my middle on this is that i do think i am very proud of what australia has been able to achieve you know they seized that opportunity after the port arthur massacre they kind of brought people along and we live in a safer society for it now. There's no doubt that the policies and the recall around gun control in Australia has saved lives, right? And I think that's really something that I'm proud of and living in a society that we're reaping those benefits. I would say that it would be probably be very reluctant to comment or offer any kind of advice to America around that because the culture and the, and the, the climate is so much more complex and it's something we don't fully understand. but uh, And there are different kind of things at play there. But I would say that the gun ownership in Australia shouldn't be demonized for for hobbies and enthusiasts. I think that that does happen to the point where, you know, like I'm a, a new person to the scene and by no means I'm like I'm, I'm no expert. But even I think twice before mentioning it to certain people, right, because there's an instant judgment that comes with anything to do with guns. Like you're some kind of gun nut and someone who's very right wing and, you know, is just a bogus. And who loves just shooting shit up and even if that's that is true you don't want to be judged for it so I do think there needs to be a little bit more tolerance and a bit more nuance that it's it's not just like gun ownership can be done safely and we do have a system in Australia that allows that and they shouldn't people shouldn't be demonized for having interest in that in that hobby are you going to come to the range with me then
1: <laughs> well you did invite me but I think I can't